When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Music City, this week the epicenter of college football, Nashville, Tennessee, the site of SEC Media Days. While the venue has changed this year, one thing remains the same, the reigning national champions. Demons be gone, and the drought is over. Georgia on the mountaintop at long last. People have asked the question, how does it feel to be hunted? We will not be hunted at the University of Georgia. I can promise you that. We didn't build this program on one-year wonder. We built the program to be sustained. Georgia is going to survive. They feel like they have been the hunted. They want to do the hunting tonight. Bennett continues to dazzle the Georgia Bulldogs, bludgeon their way to back-to-back. Welcome into another edition of College Football Live. I am Matt Schick, joined alongside by amazing technology, Greg McElroy and Jordan Rogers from Nashville. We will hear from them in just a moment about all things SEC. These are the dog days of summer, spelled D-A-W-G. The dogs addressed the media today with much of the talk centering around a three-peat. Georgia looking to become the first program in the AP poll era to win three straight natties. A big reason they won back-to-back is no longer with the program. Stetson Bennett off to the NFL. The Bulldogs will need a new answer under center. Seems likely the answer is going to be Carson Beck. More on that coming up. He led the first-team offense in the first half of Georgia's spring game. Whoever the QB is will have a reliable target in the nation's best tight end. Brock Bowers led all tight ends with more than 900 receiving yards last year and has 20 career touchdown receptions tied for the fourth most in program history. Here's his head coach. You're not thinking about the last season, and I think sometimes as media, you guys want to make it about, uh, well, what are you going to learn? How are you going to combat this? Like, all we're thinking about is the next 24 hours. Like, how can we get better in the next 24 hours? I'm not sitting here thinking of some motivating factor. People are like, what are you going to tell your team this year? Are you going to tell them people are going to say you're going to be 7-5? and five? No, I've never said that anybody thought our team was going to be 7-5. and five. We expect to be good at University of Georgia. We won't sustain success. So we have to do that by winning every day. And that's not going to change whether we win it or not this year. Well, the road to the three-peat doesn't look terribly daunting. According to ESPN Analytics, Georgia has the easiest schedule in the SEC. Hard to find a loss here. I suppose that's what happens when you're the most talented team on the field every time you take it. Godspeed, UT Martin. Welcome back in, Jordan and GMAC. Uh, guys, understood that the Bulldogs have won 17 straight. They're 29-1 over the last two years, but... Jordan, begin with you. Is this the best Georgia team Kirby Smart has had? Well, looking at that schedule, it looks like they could be, but I'm going to say no. A couple of years ago, 
They had 15 guys drafted, five in the first round. Last year, 10 guys drafted. They have some really good rosters. Here's what I'll say, though. I think this will be one of the deepest teams that Kirby Smart has ever had, especially on the offensive side of the football. This receiving crew, I think, is going to be fabulous. One of the top in the SEC. They added Dominic Lovick who was the number one receiver for Missouri. They added Ra Ra Thomas, the number one receiver for Mississippi State. So they are poised to be deep and talented on offense. But as a whole, I still think they take a backseat to a couple of those rosters. But it's young. The night is young. Yeah, I was about to say, I mean, the roster is going to be ridiculous. I mean, we know that. Is it, does it have as much notoriety, as much star power as maybe the last two versions of itself? That to, kind of remains to be seen. However, defensively is where I'm most intrigued with how Georgia the last couple of years has rotated their personnel. There's a bunch of guys that played roles on last year's roster and even the roster before, but they didn't star in those roles. They were situational players. They were down and distance specific players, but either way, all those guys now are being thrust into starting roles and they return eight of their top 11 tacklers from a year ago. And then of course, offensively, Will they be good enough at quarterback to be able to adequately replace the game manager turned superstar Stetson Bennett? Because he made a lot of things happen when nothing was there, Jordan. He made something out of nothing, and he did so time and time again. That's why he was difficult to defend and why that offense last year ultimately became one of the best in college football. And in the biggest moments, yeah. Stetson was the biggest, right? He didn't need to be for much of the season. First six games had five passing touchdowns, <laughs> right? Just manage the game. But then when the playoffs hit in championships, he was a superstar, like you said. They'll need a guy to develop into that. Well, you guys took us there. They will be without the most accomplished quarterback in program history in Stetson Bennett. Went from walk-on to two-time national champion, becoming a CFP MVP, and then a fourth-round pick of the Rams in the NFL. Big shoes to fill at the quarterback position. Here's Kirby on the possible feet that will fill them on the set of SEC Network. Kirby's going to tell you, we got a battle going on at quarterback. How are you going to define things in terms of knowing whether if Carson Beck is the guy, how do you define who is the guy? Well, they get to go two Saturdays in a row in fall camp against one of the best defenses in the country. So when you put them out there against them and you say we're going to do six third downs in a row, you find out a lot about a quarterback yeah. on mm -hmm. third down mm -hmm. more than you do on first and second. So That's we're going to put them in the heater and find out. I think Carson's a good athlete too. Okay? Yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's a great baseball player. He made some plays last year with his feet in, in critical situations when he came in. Brock didn't get a chance to do much of that, you know, because by the time we put him in the game, he didn't get a chance to run the complete offense. So we get to see that every day in practice. And then Gunner's a good athlete. So I think all three of these kids are good athletes, to be honest. From mailman to the man, he went 29-3 as a starting quarterback for the Dogs. The second-best win percentage by an SEC quarterback with at least 30 career starts behind, behind Alabama's Jay Barker. He was named the MVP in all four of Georgia's playoff wins over the past two seasons. We talk about the schedule. Guys, with all this talent that is on this roster, I feel like I'm about to ask you a question that we used to ask about Alabama back in the day. G-Mac, does it even matter who Georgia's quarterback is? Uh, yes, uh, you're asking two quarterbacks whether or not that <laughs> position matters. I think you know what answer you're going to get. But I, I look at Carson Beck, and let's just start with him. He's been around for four years. He's the only quarterback that was rated in the top 50 of ESPN's 100 that has yet to start from his class that didn't transfer. Why? Because he clearly saw the light at the end of the tunnel and made the determination with his family 
two years at Georgia, maybe one year at Georgia, is better than three years or maybe four years at another place. He's waited for this opportunity. He's got tons of reps. And now, like Jordan alluded to, he's got an awesome supporting cast that's going to help bring out his talent. I think he is without question the guy to beat, even though Kirby wants to see this competition ongoing. And time and time again, last year we saw Stetson bail this team out, bail the offense out with his legs at times. Look, Carson is maybe not as twitchy, not quite as escapable as Stetson was, but he's a good athlete. Yeah. When he tucks it, he can run. He's a big-bodied quarterback. I challenge anybody to go back and watch the Vanderbilt game from last year. The fourth quarter of that game, Carson Beck was on the money with every single throw. Didn't miss. Now I realize it was Vandy. Hurts me to say that. It was the fourth quarter, but he worked through every single progression. He didn't miss. I think he had three incompletions. By my count, they were all drops. I mean, he was pinpoint accurate. He's set. He's watched. He's poised. He's ready. And like I said earlier, the way the schedule plays out, they yeah. don't need a superstar until later in the like year. So he's going to have plenty yeah. of time to develop into that, and I think he's got the skill set to do I so. I ask you guys, guys who, who did play the position, you know, 35 pass attempts last season, mostly – in garbage time. How do you prepare a a young quarterback when it's hands off in practice yet you are facing the best defense arguably in all of college football. How do you get ready. Well you really because of the good versus good competition I actually talked to Cedric Van Praan the center he said we have a, a period called Bloody Tuesday where we literally try to bloody each other's nose offense against defense defense gets offense and it is a no holds bar every single time they go out and he said that bloody Tuesdays every day in training camp so they're going to get thrown into the fire they reference the third down simulated situations in scrimmages yeah are you prepared to face live bullets I asked Kirby actually in our interview with him earlier I said are you actually going to take the black jersey off the yeah. quarterback yeah. and make them live he said absolutely <laughs> not but we're going to try to make it as realistic as humanly possible. And having faced a Kirby Smart coach defense in the past, I can promise you non-contact is not exactly non-contact. So they're going to be facing it and feeling the heat. Now it's about who makes the decisions under duress. It's literally as easy as Kirby said. He's going against the best defense in the entire country and has for a few years every single day in practice. In a way, it's going to make some of the games feel pretty easy. So I'm not worried at all. Well, speaking of that great defense, last year, Maybe it was supposed to be some sort of rebuilding year on defense. It was more of a reload. Five players taken in the first round last year. Huge drop off, allowing a God forbid 14 points a game, tumbling all the way from first to second in defensive efficiency. A lot of key pieces returning this season. Jordan, can the Georgia defense stay at this level? I think they absolutely can. I mean, we got a chance at the national championship to just be on the sideline and look at the size and the athleticism of all these guys, not just the 22 that we're starting. So there is depth. There is a ton of talent that is waiting in the wings that has been preparing for this moment. I will say, I think one thing where I look at this and go, the way they dominated Tennessee in that offense was physicality at corner and having Keely Ringo up in the face of those Tennessee receivers. I think Kamari Lassiter is a really good corner. Do they have the same physicality? I think it will develop, but it's going to be exciting to watch. But Smile Bundin's back, their best player, best tackler on defense last year. And there's going to be a couple guys that you don't know their name yet that we're going to be talking about as big-time future draft picks by the year end. Yeah, second level is elite. The linebacker core is probably as good as anybody in all of college football. I think they will miss a couple pieces in the secondary and Chris Smith. I thought yeah. he was excellent. But what I'm most concerned about 
is the attrition that's been had along the defensive front. And it's not so much off last year where Jalen Carter was drafted in the first round, but the year before they had a handful of others. Jordan Davis, of course, uh, you know, D Devontae. Like they've had a bunch of guys drafted off the front four. And when I look at that group now, I know Michael on the perimeter, on the edge, he's got a chance to be maybe the best pass rusher in the SEC. He's got company there, but there's a bunch. But inside, I don't know if they're going to be as dominant as they've been the last couple right. years. That's the one position group that I'll be looking really closely at early in the season. Can the defensive tackle set the tone like they did in 22 and in 21? Because that has been an unbelievable strength of this roster the last few years. Yeah, a bunch of first world problems there uh, in Athens, Georgia. We'll check back in with you guys in just a moment. Some news from the Big Ten today where a former Northwestern football player has sued the university and school leaders, including ex-coach Pat Fitzgerald, saying they were negligent in allowing hazing on the team. Lawyers for the anonymous former players say they expect more players to join the lawsuit. Fitzgerald, who said that he did not know about the hazing, was fired after 17 years as head coach. ESPN's Adam Rittenberg has been all over this story. Adam, how deep does this lawsuit go? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Matt, I think it goes uh, potentially very deep. I think it's just the beginning of a series of lawsuits that will be filed in the coming days and weeks from this initial firm that did today's. There's also another firm that has up to 12 former Northwestern players that have retained them for possible representation. And both have told us that their research indicates that the issues are, are deep, that they go within the department uh, back uh, 15 years, 10, 15 years, can, can even include multiple teams. So you know, if those allegations are true, you're not just looking at a football issue, but you're looking at something that impacts all of Northwestern athletics, which one of the attorneys said the culture there is the problem, and that's why so many of these former athletes are coming forward right now. So if it is a culture problem and the issue d does run fairly deep, and Northwestern has already conducted its own investigation. Why is Pat Fitzgerald the only one that paid a punishment? Matt, I don't think anyone else is being named. Even the initial investigation, the executive summary that came out July 7th, said that no other individuals were, were found to have led or encouraged these, these incidents. And in subsequent reporting, sources have told me nobody else has named, you know, this was the person who was leading the hazing. These coaches were in on it. These are people who had knowledge and really encouraged these behaviors over a number of years. And so that's a question that I want to ask to the attorneys, to the ex-players who are finally going to start speaking to the media here soon. Why haven't you named anyone else other than Pat Fitzgerald, who essentially was punished because he oversaw the, the, the program and a culture that university president Michael Schill believed had been at least partially broken by, by what, what, what was alleged and, and shown in their own investigation. You mentioned speaking to the media. We haven't heard from the school president, Shill. We haven't heard from the athletic director, Greg. A week from tomorrow, Big Ten Media Days begins in Indianapolis. You've got uh, interim coach Braun and three student athletes that are scheduled at this moment to speak next week in Indianapolis. Is that possibly going to be the first time we hear from anyone from Northwestern since the firing of Pat Fitzgerald? 
Matt, it's the, it's the only people that we know that are within the program, that are still on the team, that will be speaking sometime next week in Indianapolis, Wednesday or Thursday. We, we will hear from some former Northwestern players who are, are either suing or soon will sue the school. That's going to happen on Wednesday morning. There are two news conferences here in Chicago with attorneys working with the players. So that's when we're going to find out who some of these guys are and what they have to say because nobody has identified themselves so far in the allegations. But as far as Northwestern leaders, players, even interim coach David Braun, there are no plans right now for any press conferences in advance of Big Ten media days. Wow. When will we hear from leadership? We shall see. Thank you very much, uh, Adam. Appreciate the time. Good work on this uh, developing story. Still to come, there's a freeze warning in the SEC this season. Hugh Freeze returns to the SEC. We'll discuss what type of impact he'll have. Plus, Texas heads to Tuscaloosa. Ryan Kelly and the Tigers look to avenge last season's opening loss. We dive into the SEC's high-impact non-conference tilts. After back-to-back -back losing seasons under Brian Harson, the Tigers wasted no time in making a change. Hugh Freeze comes to the Plains after four seasons at Liberty, which included three bowl wins. The last time he was at SEC Media Days, seven years ago as the head coach at Ole Miss. Today, he returned as the Auburn head man. I would be less than truthful with you if after we started having success at Liberty, um, particularly with it just going FBS and us being able to beat the likes of Arkansas and BYU and Virginia Tech and Syracuse and playing close with every Power Five that we played. Um, did the thought start creeping in your mind that, that certain opportunities might present themselves again? Yes, at that point, but uh, not prior to that point did they enter my mind. and. Um, then it's an interesting fact, obviously, that Gus and uh, and Brian both were at Arkansas State after my tenure there, um, and obviously Gus is a dear friend of mine who who uh, talked with about a lot of things, and he's just so complimentary of Auburn and the people and and the things that can happen there. Well, last year the program missed out on a bowl game for the first time in ten years. This year. Road games at College Station, Baton Rouge, home games against Georgia and Alabama. He'll face his former team on October 21st. Magic Jordan Rogers and Greg McElroy. Uh, Greg, start with you. What does Hugh Freeze bring to Auburn? I think more than anything else is he's able to get everyone at Auburn University aligned for a while there it felt like the head coach was pulling in one direction the athletic director was pulling in the other the fan base was being split between the two the president was not really trying to get too involved because he didn't want to attach himself to a sinking ship 
now with Hugh Freeze coming in, the boosters are on board, the NIL Collective is on board, they've raised a ton of money, they now have a brand new facility that they can take advantage of from a recruiting standpoint. So I think as much as anything else, besides the newfound optimism, it's the alignment that now exists from the president all the way down to the football program. And you have to have that nowadays if you're going to be successful in college football. Which may sound like something that, yeah, that should always happen, right? It hasn't been the case at right. Auburn, and that's been a cancer in that program, I believe, the misalignment. Also, I think that brings you brings a legitimacy to the offensive side of the ball. As you have all these new players, old players from Auburn, transfers that he's brought in, you can flip on the tape at Liberty, at Ole Miss in his past, with less talent, putting up huge numbers. So anybody wants to be excited about the style of offense, but he can flip on the tape and prove this works. You do this, you're going to produce to this level. And I think in this day and age, seeing that confidence and be able to execute it as such goes a long way to getting, the start, getting an offense started, getting a program headed in the right direction. So they're going to have confidence day one because of the guy that's calling the shots. It's easy to, to get everybody on board with a guy who is the only active SEC coach to have multiple wins over Nick Saban while at Alabama. So uh, pretty good so far in his track record. We'll see how he does in the future. Offensively, it's going to be interesting because He's hired an offensive coordinator in Philip Montgomery. That was one of his first moves. Montgomery was Baylor's OC from 2012 to 2014. That offense put up some eye-popping numbers, averaging nearly 600 yards of offense, 50 points a game, both best in the FBS in that span. This was an offense that was 11th in the SEC in scoring. In fact, only 12 teams in the country averaged fewer passing yards per game last season than Auburn. G Mac, start with you. What's your level of optimism for this Tigers offense? I'm actually really optimistic about the scheme. There's clearly a place in the SEC for this style of attack. We saw it used successfully, not exactly the same, but comparable at Tennessee last year. It's the offense du jour in college football. Everybody wants a piece of it. But what I'm really excited about is I think they've improved some positions that were legitimate weaknesses last year. Quarterback, Peyton Thorns come in to challenge Robbie Ashford, the incumbent, who ultimately will emerge as the starting quarterback. That's TBD, but at least they have quality depth at the position. Running back, even though we're not sure what's going to happen with Jarquez Hunter, they brought in another solid transfer in Brian Beatty from USF, who had a 1,000-yard season. Wide receiver has been a massive position of weakness for several years on the Plains. They went out and they got at least four guys with high-level D1 experience, several of which with great length, which will create matchup issues on the perimeter. And then along the offensive line, Jordan, they went out and added three FBS starters that have played a lot of football at this level. So they've added experience and depth to a roster offensively that really wasn't very talented the last couple years. And that's why I think it's going to be so important for the quarterback position to be solidified. If you look back last year, Robbie Ashford made some unbelievable plays, wild plays with his legs. They ran the football effectively, but he was second worst in the entire country in completion percentage on passes from five to 20 yards. Where a quarterback, that should be more of your bread and butter. You should be up <laughs> up above, well above 60%. That's why bringing in Peyton Thorne from Michigan State, I think is huge. He excels at that. He's not a big arm guy. He doesn't make as many wild throws or wild plays as maybe Robbie Ashford, but he's going to be consistent in those throws 
that you got to have, those throws that an OC needs you to make so we can set up the next big play. So it's going to be interesting to see how this competition shakes out because Robbie has gotten better. Yeah. And he can oh, be yeah. a very good quarterback in this league yeah. as he develops as a passer. Peyton may be a little lower floor, mm -hmm. not as high of a ceiling. We'll see how it shakes out. Yeah, TJ Finley transferred out in the offseason. You mentioned Peyton Thorne won those, had that big 11-game season under Mel Tucker a couple of years ago. Also had Kenneth Walker. So it's going to be very important for Peyton Thorne if he is the guy, whoever it is. Yeah, he's pretty good. Should have been a Heisman finalist to, to have someone in that backfield. Hopefully, it'll be Jarquez Hunter. More from you guys in just a moment from Nashville at SEC Media Days. The Battle of Carolina. Texas looking for redemption in Tuscaloosa. And Brian Kelly's crew trying to flip the script against FSU. Which non-conference games are we most excited for next? SEC Media Days here on College Football Live, nearly halfway through the four-day affair. 39 days from now, the college football season begins. Here's Ryan McGee on non-conference games. Ah, September. That loveliest of months that brings us autumn's arrival. Dropping temperatures, the first colors of fall foliage, and revenge. September features more bitter rematches than WrestleMania. Cross-conference throwdowns carried over from one year ago and beyond. Week one, Florida and Utah in the Urban Meyer Legacy Bowl part deux. North and South Carolina are back in Charlotte. Shane Beamer still watching the mayo from his 2021 bowl victory attire. And LSU looks to exercise the emotions of their missed opportunity against FSU last fall. Week two, the Canes and Horns seek to avenge their 2022 single-digit losses to Texas A&M and Bama, while Vandy hopes to even the score with the Sam Hartless Demon Deacons in Winston-Salem. And week three, K-State and Mizzou meet in another Big 8 throwback throwdown, while the Hogs hope to go as wild as they did against BYU one year ago. Revenge is a dish best served cold. Or in this case, smoked and slathered with barbecue sauce in a stadium parking lot. How dare you, Ryan McGee, not mentioning Vandy, Hawaii. Florida will go to Utah, something they don't do very often in week one on Thursday night. Sunday of Labor Day weekend, LSU and Florida State face off in Orlando, and then a week later, Texas travels to Tuscaloosa to take on Alabama. Matchick, Greg McElroy. Jordan Rogers, Greg, start with you. What is the most intriguing non-conference game? It's Texas and Alabama, uh, dating all the way back to 09 when Colt got hurt. Well, last year when Quinn got hurt, a lot of Texas fans seemingly believed that if their quarterback had stayed healthy, the outcome might have been a little different. And knowing that Texas is en route to the SEC, this will be a great barometer for where their program is. On paper, Texas's roster is unbelievable. I mean, they really are. They're stacked at so many different positions. It should feel great about where they stand heading into the Big 12. But now, this is an opportunity to go into a remarkably hostile environment and to announce their presence as a team that is not just a playoff contender, but perhaps the Big 12's best chance of a playoff team this year. So the storylines are endless as it relates to that game as well. I hate to break it to you, but I was a believer as well. I, I think <laughs> Texas would have won. That's, Sorry. You're wrong. No, That's fine. No. It's, it's okay. We'll see. No, we'll, maybe fine. we'll never yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very awkward moment here. Jordan, I'll what about you? you? 
I got Texas A&M at Miami. Look, Jimbo Fisher finally swallowed his ego a little bit, hired an offensive coordinator that we think is going to call plays. Not really sure if we know how many of the plays Bobby Petrino is going to call, but this roster, like Greg just mentioned, another team, this roster is one of the best in the SEC just on paper. Problem is, their offense has been terrible. 264 total yards last year against Miami. They squeaked out a win 17-9, but week two, this is going to be a huge test for the talent that they have. Have they changed the offense? I don't believe that A&M has a true offensive problem. They don't have a plays problem. They have a presentation problem. They have been an offense that have gotten stale. They don't motion enough. They don't shift enough. They don't have diversity in their personnel grouping. So if Bobby Petrie can come add some of that add some tempo add some window dressing make defenses think for once the talent on this roster can put together a really talented really scary offensive attack week two we're going to find out how real it is Miami also with a new offensive coordinator in that game uh, Shannon Dawson yeah. who was hired this offseason thank you guys appreciate it more from you in just a moment SEC media days continues today and Georgia is in the spotlight as defending champion and Defending the program after numerous incidents of reckless driving and speeding, one that turned deadly. In January, player Devin Willock and staffer Chandler LaCroix were killed when LaCroix lost control of their car while racing. The school's athletic association and former Georgia star Jalen Carter are facing two lawsuits in the incident. ESPN reports that since that incident, Georgia football players and their cars have been involved in at least 10 reports of traffic-related moving violations in Athens-Clark County. Kirby Smart addressed the off-the-field issues on Tuesday. I'm disappointed anytime we have traffic incidents. I, 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 you know, it's, it's very evident uh, when you look at it, we've had traffic citations and incidents throughout the history of being at the University of Georgia. Um, and we actually don't have more now than we've had in the past. So what, we, what concerns me most is the safety of our players. All right. And when you drive at high speeds, it's unsafe. And we don't want that to happen. We're going to do all we can to take that out and uh, make sure that's eradicated. But I'm also smart enough, Pat, to understand and know that 18 to 20-year-olds is when this happens. When it happens, when it happened to me as a student athlete, that's when speeding happens. What we want to do is take that out and make it safe and not have high speeds. If somebody's going to get a speeding ticket, it should not be a super speeder. Interesting take there from uh, Kirby today. Uh, Jordan, what is your concern level uh, on the off-the-field issues at Georgia? Yeah, my concern in that would be that there needs to be more self-policing and leadership, right? The coaches can tell you that it's dangerous. They can tell you what not to do, but they're not holding your hand once you leave the locker room. So these players need to understand and come together and go, hey, this is not cool. The only reason you're speeding and racing like that is because you think it's cool, if you are, right? So there needs to be more self-policing, more leadership within that program. The coaches can only do so much, and then these are, albeit young, but they're grown men. They're adults that are out there making their own decisions. So that needs to be policed within the locker room. The players need to stand up, take a stand, and protect themselves, I think, to some degree as well. Yeah, I think a lot of people expect Kirby Smart to say, oh, well, I'm taking your keys. Or, I mean, this yeah. isn't the program where you just take the motorcycle keys and you figure it out. Like, these players now, have been given tons of rights and tons of opportunity and are they're their own people so I completely agree with Jordan and look there's only so much that the coaching staff can do you don't want to kick a kid off the team because then that could have a lifelong penalty for what was a misdemeanor violation so I'm not condoning the behavior by any stretch of the imagination 
but you want to figure out a way to make sure that the penalty is are significant enough but not to the point in which it could impact this person's life down the right. road, whether or not they can get their degree, whether or not they get their education, whether or not they can play college football. So I think Kirby Smart is definitely making sure that the players are taking charge of it more than he is because they're the ones that can ultimately alter the, alter the behavior more so than the coaching staff in the current era of college football that we're living in. Yeah, Georgia might be the toughest opponent that Georgia faces on the field this year. Let's hope that's not the same case uh, off the field. Thank you, guys. Up next, on College Football Live. Remember this from last year? We know that in time, Vanderbilt football will be the best program in the country. But to be the best, you have to win games. Will the Commodores exceed expectations once again? We're doing SEC win totals next. Some schools have to take private jets to SEC media days in Nashville. Some can just take an Uber. Like the Commodores, who play their games four miles from the Hyatt there in Nashville. Things are looking up at Vandy, winning five games last year, equaling the team's win totals from the last three seasons combined. And that earned Clark Lee a contract extension. The school announced it on Monday. It'll run through 2029. Lee enters his third season as head coach and today took part in his third SEC media day. We return Chase Gillespie and Patrick Smith, and both are capable runners. We've added um, talented freshmen to that mix, too. A.J. doesn't need to shoulder any more of the burden. You know, we need A.J. to focus on his development um, and his ability to facilitate the offense, make pre-snap and post-snap decisions, get the ball into space. Um, and I think his growth from year one to year two has less to do with putting the offense on his back and more to do with consistency and execution. Um, and, you know, at that point, too, we're leaning on a talented receiver core to create explosive plays for us. But, you know, we're not going to change um, who we are. We, we feel like we'll, we'll be able to, to um, not skip a beat in that run game and keep pushing forward as an offense. And um, we're excited for those guys to come together over the next month in fall camp. Vanderbilt trying to get to a bowl game for the first time since 2018. Look at how they did the previous few years and then last year. By the way, Jordan Rodgers, the first and only Vanderbilt quarterback to lead the school to back-to-back -back bowl games. I was not paid to say that. See, the sportsbook has our <laughs> over-unders out. Jordan, let's start uh, with you, with your old school. Vanderbilt, over-under three-and-a-half regular season wins. What are you taking? The, the sheer disrespect <laughs> here, Schick. I appreciate the the. the uh, the little uh, pump up there for me, but I'm going to hammer this over. They have four straight non-conference games to start this season. Hawaii, Alabama A&M at Wake, who's not as good as they were last year, at UNLV. So a couple tough places to play, but they are going to hit the over by September 16th, and I'm going to be in the money before October. <laughs> Get out of here with this three and a half. Yeah, They're going bowling this yeah. year. Vandy Commodores back in the postseason. Yeah, Vegas makes a ton of money by being disrespectful and <laughs> creating bulletin board material. That's how all those casinos were built. Uh, I'm going to take the over as well, but I'm not as confident. I think at Wake is a loss. I think at UNLV is a toss-up, but I do think they could surprise somebody. I wouldn't be shocked to see them play really well against, say, Auburn at the end of the year when maybe Auburn's looking at maybe some other opportunities and maybe they've maybe had to lick their wounds, maybe got a little beat up. So I think they'll hit the over, but I do not anticipate a 4-0 start 
for the for come the on. doors, not at this point. It's because hey, of the Texas comment that's, I made. Huh? That's exactly <laughs> yeah, what I you knew that was going to come back to get you in the in the uh, D block there. Uh, the over under, by the way, the win total is two and a half. They eclipsed that by week four, so you could be in the money again here within that first month, uh, <laughs> Jordan Rogers. All right, let's go Mississippi State now. Caesar Sportsbook lists the season win total at six and a half. Jordan, over or under? I'm taking the over here. Look, this is a Mississippi State team that was good on offense, but they were not explosive because it was air raid and everybody dropped eight, and they kind of got figured out here in the SEC. New offense comes in. It's going to be explosive. It's going to be balanced, and I still do believe Will Rogers is one of the better quarterbacks in this conference. I think this offense is going to set himself up to be more successful, less stats, more wins and better production for Will Rogers. And I see Mississippi State getting the over there. I think it's actually a little tougher. I really like Mississippi State this year. I just don't know if it's necessarily going to be reflected on wins and losses. I am taking the over, but narrowly, I think they're seven and five football team. And that's even with an upset of Kentucky, who I think has had a chance to maybe right. get to 10 wins at home there late in the season. So I think they go over, but it's going to be really close. 4 0 in the non conference. And I think they're probably going to be three and five in the SEC. They did lose a lot on defense. Yeah, so there's they did. a lot yet to be seen for Mississippi State. It's been 15 years since Mississippi State last did not play in a bowl game. Uh, last year, Auburn didn't play in a bowl game for the first time in 10 years. Over under seven wins. Jordan. This was a tough one. I mean, this is a really tough over under. I'm going to go on the under. I think they get to six. I think they make it to a bowl, but you got to go at California week two at Cal, which is just a weird place to play. I've been in that stadium a million times. They're going to be a better football team, but it's a weird road trip at A&M. You get Georgia from the east, which is a bad draw. You go A&M, Georgia, LSU, Ole Miss. I see him just maybe getting to six, but I don't see seven there. I think it's big for their, them to hold people accountable in their home building. It's going to come down to me the two games against the Mississippi schools. What do they do against Ole Miss? What do they do against Mississippi State? You got to be careful of that Vanderbilt game. I already referenced that, and I think they they beat Cal, and I think they beat Cal convincingly. Even though it's a 9:30 start here in the Central right. Time Zone, I think it'll be fine at least that early in the year. I'm taking the over, but I don't love it. I think seven's actually the perfect number when looking at the Auburn Tigers. Three straight years of six wins or fewer for the Auburn Tigers. All right. Georgia Bulldogs it's a hefty hefty number here 11 and a half wins they run in the table or not Jordan I'm going no I'm taking the under Ooh. I think they're going 11 and one look with a loss to UAB <laughs> no not UAB but I will say if you look at last year early in this season they struggled against Kent State randomly struggled against Missouri I and mean, there was almost an early loss last year and that team went up going 15 and 0 so I think this Georgia team is going to be really good I think Carson Beck is going to be in the Heisman conversation at the end of the year because I think he's going to put up big numbers I think Georgia's going to be the best team in the country but I think they slip up somewhere maybe a Kentucky who I think is going to play well even though they get that one at home that could be a weird one or at Tennessee late depending on how well Joe Milton's playing those are tricky ones yeah at Tennessee is the one that everybody's circled so I'll, I'll avoid that one for the moment I think the South Carolina game is really tricky that'll be your first test South Carolina will have already played North Carolina just a couple weeks earlier so they will have seen power five competition already and Spencer Rattler if he can play the way he played at the end of the season in the beginning of the season for South Carolina I don't think that that's a team that Georgia needs to be overlooking they probably won't 
they're very aware of what that rivalry has been in the past and how strange some of the outcomes have been. So I expect them to play well, but that would be another team that I would just be careful of. But I'm taking the over. I think they go 12 and 0. Yeah, let me 10 and 0 going into Knoxville. I don't think there's too much doubt about that. All right, guys, thank you so much. More coming up here on SEC Media Days, including it's a little different this year. No discussions of extraterrestrial life or life lessons we never knew we needed. There's a distinct void at this year's SEC Media Days. We'll pay tribute to the Pirates. Mississippi State, one of four teams that took the podium today. The Bulldogs coming off a nine-win season for the first time in five years. Dealt with their fair share of success during the season and sadness at the end of it. SEC Media Days isn't the same this year, not just because of the, the change of venue or where it is, but because of who isn't there. Mike Leach passed away just seven months ago, and college football will not be the same without him. Neither will Media Days, where it's a little less entertaining and reporters' notepads are a little less full. Here's Ryan McGee remembering one of a kind. It is super easy to throw around the phrase, he's one of a kind, or to say that someone marches to the beat of their own drummer. But in the case of Mike Leach, there aren't enough phrases or cliches or even words in the dictionary to accurately describe the man of whom they didn't merely break the mold. There's no way anything as rigid as a mold could have been used to create him in the first place. Every single day of Michael Charles Leach's 61-year life was an exercise in non-conventional thought. And every single day since Leach left us, way too early, has been a tribute to that life. Texas Tech on its first play from scrimmage honoring the late Mike Leach. You see the wide splits on the offensive line. That's what his offense did. From the playing fields of bowl games to fittingly podiums and press conferences, wherever there's a microphone, the same places where Mike Leach taught us so many life lessons that we didn't even know we needed. For 33 years, Mike Leach taught me that fear and faith are not compatible thought processes. And he constantly reminded me by his actions and by his words and by his deeds. The influence he had on the game, you can't go a Friday night and, and not see something that Mike Leach, uh, part of his offense in any stadium probably in the state of Texas. Except that there was something, there was a twinkle in this kid's eye. And he always made me believe that and feel that I was special and that I could succeed. And man, like, that means so much to me. There's a ball game going on right now in heaven. And can't you just see Mike? It's fourth and two. He's on his own 40. You know he's going for it. He's got his pen in his mouth, folded up piece of paper, signaling with his hand, early 92 post wheel. There aren't many people that you look forward to seeing every single time, especially on a game day, at conference meetings. We'd always just hug after every event and say, see you next time, buddy. I just can't believe that's not gonna happen again. Unique, non-conformist, idiosyncratic. No matter how many adjectives we find, chances are Mike Leach already knew more of it than even the thesaurus. One of a kind, one of singular mind who leaves us now with one singular truth, that the college football world and the world in general will be a less interesting place without Mike Leach in it.
What an impact he had on the game. 21 seasons coaching at Texas Tech, Washington State, Mississippi State. His air raid offense has been responsible for at least eight different FBS passing records. Here's Zach Arnett moments ago reflecting on his former boss at the podium. Before I start out, I would like to acknowledge and mention that I, I have seen the graphic listing the word count for uh, every head coach's opening statement last year at this event, and Coach Leach's was seven, right, seven words. And so, uh, you know, I've already said too much, and that combined with wearing a tie, I'm sure I've disappointed him a little bit here today. But uh, in recognition of his, his tremendous impact and influence, uh, not only in the game of football, but on myself. All right, I'm, I'm going to do my best to keep this, this short and sweet. I can remember covering Big 12 media days back in the day. No one got forced you to get your camera rolling more than Mike Leach did, even when he was at Texas Tech. Guys, start with you, GMAC. What's it been like at SEC media days without Coach Leach? There's a bit of a void, uh, and, and he was just so unique, right? I mean, so often with these coaches, you have cookie-cutter personalities, guys that aren't really willing to speak their mind. They need to protect their program. They need to do this. They need to do what coaches do and say less and in some cases say nothing. Mike Leach said everything except it almost never had anything to do with football. I mean, his interest – we're all over the place. He recruited me. I've known him since I was 16 years old. He made me believe in myself, and I will always be grateful to the impact he had on my life. And I know all of us as college football fans, whether you knew him or didn't know him, watched him or didn't watch him, you knew what he meant to the sport and what the sport looks like now as a result of the offense that he brought to the forefront. There was always an excitement and anticipation here before he took the podium because yeah. he didn't know what he was going to say. And I had that same excitement every time we went to a coach's call before a game that I covered him. It would be one or two football questions, and then it would be about everything else. I mean, we went on a diatribe about Outer Banks and the cinematography <laughs> of that show for about an hour one time. And he <laughs> was just his candor, his authenticity, his humor was so appreciated and it was so refreshing in this sport. Like you said, for a lot of times, it's just the cookie-cutter football answer. Right. You don't learn about a guy. You learned a lot about Mike Leach every time you talk to him. Yeah, one of the trademarks of Mike Leach, not only the things he said, but what he did with developing unheralded high school quarterbacks into professionals. You go down the list, Cliff Kingsbury to Graham Harrell to Luke Falk to Gardner Minshew. Will Rogers could be next here on this list. Nearly 11,000 career passing yards, already a school record. Could set the FBS mark this season as well, passing Case Keenum. Greg McElroy, will Rogers, he, will he do as well without Mike Leach? How do, how do you think he'll do this year? Statistically speaking, I'd be surprised if he had as many completions or the completion percentage that he had last year. But I would imagine there's going to be more explosiveness because they're going to lean a little heavier on the run game. Kevin Barbet, their new offensive coordinator coming down from Appalachian State, they're going to feature back to the defense play action. They're going to feature an off-tackle run scheme that's difficult to defend, and you marry up that scheme with a downfield passing attack, which Will Rogers has shown in the past to be very comfortable running. Now, that wasn't their bread and butter the last couple of years, but it didn't have to be. That wasn't who Mike Leach wanted to be offensively. But I think he's poised to have a huge year because they're not going to put it all on his shoulders, Jordan. He's going to distribute, but he's going to have some help up front along the offensive line and in the run game. And we talked about it 
mentioned earlier, the misconception with the air raid is that it's bombs away, pushing right. the ball downfield all the time. It's not. When you face drop eight almost every single play, it's ball control. It's a quick passing game. It's getting the ball out of your hands. But Kevin Barbe has a track record at App State of having an explosive offense. Eighth last year in the country on 40-plus yard pass plays. Mississippi State in that same category last year, second least in the entire country because all they face is people playing deep, making you pass underneath. So the threat of the run, like Greg said, is going to pay huge dividends for Will Rogers and the explosiveness of this offense. Again, the statistics won't be there, but the production will be, and I think they're better suited. Fewer than 400 completions away from Ty Case Keenum for that career mark in FBS history. Thank you, guys. More to come here on College Football Live. First, the ultimate fighter continues to heat up inside and outside the octagon. Team Chandler's veterans undefeated after seven weeks against Team McGregor's prospects going for the first clean sweep in ultimate fighter history. Eighth episode premieres tonight at 10 Eastern on ESPN. can do uh, are they both on tomorrow or just Welcome back to College Football Live. Wednesday at the mic at SEC Media Days. Four more teams addressing the media. Nick Saban and Alabama, 10.05 a.m. Eastern, not a minute earlier. Arkansas and Sam Pittman, two teams out of the SEC West. In the East, Billy Napier, 2 o'clock Eastern. And that is followed by the staple, Mark Stoops, 325 Eastern. We'll have full coverage coming up on Wednesday's edition 
of college football live again you can watch that three o'clock Eastern time on ESPN 2 Jordan Greg you guys did such a great job I think I speak for everyone when I say this was your best segment of the show we'll see you Wednesday. <laughs>